I'm not superstitious, but I'm I am a little stitious. Hi everyone, my name is Antoine C. Ah, uh, Kyle Brarard from the Stratton T2 team. I'm Haley Swerble. Hi, this is Andy Newell. Hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from APU. I'm kind of a big deal. Oh, good for you! People know me. I'm very happy for you. And how was it? It was a good day. This course is really good for gradual striding. It was a really fun race then. First of all, anyway. Here we have with the hero, Bjorn Daly. They've done studies, you know. Today we're going to talk about the difference between upper body and lower body limb extraction in cross-country skiing. Look, see, if I want to explain it to you, I would. Get some facts and come back and see. Honestly, have you ever been in a room, a wax room, where they're all applying these HF waxes? Formidable scent. Stings the nostrils. Well, competition. No, 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 it just seems like everyone's doping nowadays. It's illegal in nine countries. No! Me too. Freestyle. I think on the flats, I, I've never seen a female ski faster. I think she's probably, probably the fastest female on the V2 on the flat. I, I saw that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Cedar Skier Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Cedarquist. We have a great show for you lined up today. Kendall Kramer, world junior silver medalist, youth Olympic bronze medalist, is joining the show a little bit later today as part of our Ski Meister special, uh, second edition of that coming up. So we're going to talk to her. Great interview. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to some other things today. We've got some hypotheticals. We've got some ski news. Uh, we got a whole bunch of things to get to. So I hope you enjoy this edition of the Cedar Spear Podcast. All right, so as I was saying, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Let's, let's get started right away. Uh, first, we got some letters from our our fans, our beloved fans. It's so great. So uh, this comes to us. Uh, where is this one coming from, Ralph? Uh, this one is coming all the way uh, from near our hometown of Shovel Lake, Minnesota. This one comes to us from Duluth, Minnesota. It is Eric, and he says... Ryan, been listening to the last few episodes of the show and just wondering in this time of quarantine if you have been reading any good books. And if so, uh, tell us what you think of them. No, God! Thank you very much. Eric, yes, quarantine. That escalated. Uh, so I'm a full time teacher, so I've been uh, checking with students and asking them kind of what they've been up to. And a few of them have been renewing old hobbies, and that's great. Uh, some of them have been starting up uh, reading some larger book series. That's generally what I've been doing. Been reading a lot of theological texts. Oh, uh, I like good to think deep, but you. also I have to stretch my mind in other ways too. So I like reading um, athletic biographies or things. So actually, this book that I recently picked up. Um, is called Inside Edge by Christine Brennan, a revealing journey into the secret world of figure skating. So Christine Brennan was a journalist for the, uh, let's see, Washington Post. That's what I thought, Washington Post. She's cover, covered the Olympics, international sports. This book was written in 1995, I think, um, kind of leading up to the 1998 Olympic Games. So gave a very good inside look at what the life of a figure skater is like and also just the world of figure skating. I found that to be really fascinating. Fascinating. I think like many of us, you know, figure skating is only important once every four years. And at the Olympics, people really get into it. Um, and the reality is, is, you know, it ain't about that, that kind of 
that fact that everything in a figure skater's career comes down to one moment every four years is very true, actually. They, it's not like they're living um, a, a bunch of other really important competitions as well. I think that's kind of the, the sad thing. They train 11 and a half months of the year, and basically once a year, the U.S. Nationals and the World, World, Nash, or the World Championships, and then every four years, the Olympics, those are the only contests that matter. So, you know, they run through their programs over and over again, Practice, hundreds man. and thousands of hours, and then Practice, they're going to do man. a two-minute and a, a five-minute program and it, it all comes down to how they perform on that big stage once in their life. Um, and then and then also the look at the um, the kind of wacky world of how judging works was pretty discouraging. Just uh, how messed up and political that was. I, I know uh, I've heard that on the uh, telecast when you'd watch this. They always talk about kind of how messed up judging is, but I, I never really realized the extent of it. You're welcome. And um, obviously the money that's involved with certain decisions, you know, we're talking tenths of a point can mean millions of dollars if it goes the wrong way for an athlete at, at an event such as the Olympic Games. Because pretty much, you know, if you win gold, you're a huge deal. And if you get silver, um, not so much. So kind of a big deal. yeah, this was a very interesting read. You know, we're kind of doing our series on the hardest sports uh, and what we think. So this was kind of good education for me, uh, getting inside the world of figure skating. I have a ton more respect uh, for the mental side, uh, just the lifestyle side. We're talking lifestyle stuff. You know, parents making decisions to separate their families across the country. You know, seven-year-old um, Annalisa lives in Cleveland so that she can receive training from the best coach. Well, mom lives in Florida and uh, dad lives, you know, 100 miles from Cleveland because that's the only place where they can find rent. And, no! you know, paying f- up to $50,000 in costs a year, right. Uh, right. thousands of dollars on clothes and dresses, no! uh, ice time, fifteen to 20000 a year. And this is back in the early 90s. I mean, right. uh, it's just unbelievable. The the parental pressure, the coaching pressure, no pressure societal pressure. Um, this book also gave an inside look um, on the on the the difference between the, the pro side and amateur side. Obviously, that was an issue a little bit back then. So, sort of what that pro tour looked like, and how that was kind of the chance for if you won Olympic gold, you could ride off into the sunset, make a couple That's million a dollars for sports. still having to do like a hundred shows in one hundred and ten days. You know, ridiculous things like that. But that was kind of the dream. You know, is you sacrifice your entire childhood, and then when you're fifteen years old, you. Um, That's the great thing about sports. You go and win the Olympic gold medal and then you, you get all your endorsements win. and then you become a pro and you go on tour and you do uh, Skate America. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, figure skating definitely going to be up there on uh, a discussion point, I think, for the hardest sport out there. Um, and at the same time, I was watching a movie on free climbing. It was one of those uh, Jimmy Chan ones. We, we have very poor internet up here in Leadville at our at our place where we are broadcasting live for the Cedars Gear podcast. But, you know, if we wait for a day or two, we can download a 40-minute movie. And that's kind of what my wife and I did. Uh, we had, fortunately, some good internet, good enough to stream. Wow, what was it called now? Um, I can't remember the title of it. It was, it was one of the newest Jimmy Chan ones. He's the guy who films uh, the climbers, the free climbing, the, uh, 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 what's that one that had? Go, now I can't, remember, the, I can't think of his name. Um, the guy who did Free Solo. Well, anyway, he was in that movie too, as well as climbers, free uh, free skiers, 
uh, people who do that thing where they basically just jump off cliffs and they're wearing a costume that looks like a flying squirrel thing. Uh, all these extreme sports um, and, and kind of the, the challenges psychologically and physically with the sports. So I'm doing my research. I'm not just being biased. I have heard some feedback that people thought that in, when the 64 team bracket of hardest sports came out that I would be biased and I am uh, doing my due diligence. So that's part of my reading. And that was one book. Uh, now I'm on to Arthur Ashe's biography. Uh, this one's called Days of Grace. And really excited about this one. I'm about 100 pages in. Uh, Arthur Ashe knew about him, didn't know a ton about his life, but, you know, it's coming across clear that he is uh, very much a role model. Um, and I would, I would highly recommend athletes of today's generation picking up a book from someone who was from 30 or 40 years prior, you know, and, um, and trying to, to learn from them because I think there's much to be said. In fact, on that point, Arthur Ashe, when he retired, he uh, became the captain of the Davis Cup team. This was in the early 80s. And uh, that was kind of a striking point that I've come across early on is he sort of... It's time to highlight the hypotheticals. Ralph, we are not ready for that segment yet, but um, fail on your part there. No! We'll get to the highlighting the hypotheticals in a second. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, back to what I was saying about Arthur Ashe. Um, became the coach of this the Davis Cup team. And I want to say he was about 34, 35. Uh, of course, athletes retired a little bit earlier there. He had some heart conditions, so he was kind of forced into retirement. Um, and he thought he would relate well to uh, John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, some fiery athletes from that time, very emotional, very fiery athletes. He sort of thought he'd be able to relate to them. And he said quickly he realized that even just four or five years apart, he was not really able to relate to them. He was part of the old guard already. But they are and, we uh, thought they And that's something I kind of thought, too, as a coach. Uh, my, my stints as a high school coach when I was um, fresh out of college, sort of feeling a little bit like the – the distinction between coach and athlete was a little bit difficult to establish. But when I had a, a college coaching job last year, I thought that that wouldn't be quite as difficult. I'd be a little older, but I'd still know what it's like to live in that collegiate world. And I would understand it. And no, lo and behold, like <laughs> kids who are six to 10 years younger than me operate everything from socially random little words uh, that they've come up to that we, that come up with that we have no idea what they mean. I mean, it's just, it's a whole nother world. And so I think <laughs> the lesson there for me was it's okay to just admit that you're the old guy and you don't have to um, understand everything that's going on. Okay. My best advice to you? Yeah. Shut up. All right. And then the last book that I'll talk about, I finished this one a, a little while ago, but it was during quarantine. It was The title is The Memory of Running by Ron McClarty. It was a national bestseller. Um, and on the back, it, uh, Stephen King says, Smithy, that's the main character, is an American original worthy of a place on the shelf just below your Hucks, your Holdens, your Yossarians. And I guess I could kind of say that this book is a little bit um, Holden Caulfield meets uh, the last book I read, which was about the Trans-American running race. Uh, and, and I read that right before I read this. So Trans-American, first of all, uh, that was a novel based on the first ever Trans-American running race. And it was written by one of the co-organizers. Super fun read. It was really fun I loved, race and you know, his daily recounting of each stage, 50 to 60 mile runs, the, the, the 12 or 15 athletes kind of involved and how they were quirky and, and all the stops they had along the way and how some town supported them and how, uh, it, just everything about that was fun. Cause I would really like to try and bike across America or oh, take part in some ultra endurance. So, 
when I pick up the memory of running and I, I sort of, uh, I, I read the back. I'm not superstitious, but. Basic, this is so weird. It's By, no, uh, you know the. You well, know I'll the read the back for you. See what you think. By all accounts, especially his own, Smithy eyed as a loser. He's overweight, friendless, chain smoking, forty three year old drunk. Smithy's life becomes completely unhinged when he loses his beloved parents and long lost sister all within a span of one week. Rolling down the driveway of his parents' house in Rhode Island on his old Raleigh bicycle, in an effort to escape the grief, the emotionally bereft Smithy embarks on an epic, hilarious, humanist, and extraordinary journey of discovery and redemption. It's basically what this book is about is this guy, this random character going through all these uh, psychological family battles, it bikes across America on his old Raleigh that he had when he was 12. And so there is like this part, (laughs) just him talking about how he's losing weight, biking across the country, how he, where he's staying, what he's eating, who he's meeting. And that's kind of fun. And then also this is kind of that Holden Caulfield book, because I'm pretty sure you could go back and, and people have like, you could study this book from a, uh, literature standpoint of, you know, uh, all the imagery and metaphors and that kind of stuff you learn in um, English when you're in 11th grade. Uh, and and you and it would be satisfying, I'm sure. I kind of just breezed through it, read it for the story, didn't really think a lot about the imagery, but the back has sort of like its own study guide. When I read that, I kind of thought, oh, maybe, maybe I, I should go back and like study this book. But again, I'm trying to study theology, so that's that's taking enough of my brain power, to be honest. Um, so those are the books. Uh, thank you for that letter. Uh, we have another one. Oh, good. No! All right, this is from Bill from Minot, North Dakota. Uh, Bill says, Ryan, I really enjoyed the hypothetical segment. I thought that was interesting. I'd love to see some more. However, I disagree with your Lance Armstrong, Marion Jones take. Well, Bill, you know what we think about people who disagree with us? No! That's right. Uh, but anyway, uh, glad you enjoyed the hypothetical. So, yeah, last time we did a hypothetical on, on whose career would you rather have. And... Um, uh, we compared Lance Armstrong and Marion Jones in kind of what we called the doping category. And I, I, I chose Lance Armstrong, I think, because to me, I, was, I selfishly wish uh, I could be a Tour de France cyclist. And so I think the experience that he would get from being just the training and racing over his life would have been fun to live. Uh, but on the downside, he's really a villain. Marion Jones, people don't really uh, seek out, you know, on message boards and, and tear down. So even though she, uh, they both cheated and she lost everything as Lance did, um, she seems to be more just kind of living a normal life now. So I can understand where you're coming from that point. Okay, so those were some letters. If you want to reach out to us, uh, remember, you can comment on our blog site. And if you have questions or things. Uh, One thing someone uh, also had mentioned, I should bring it up, is so we had Zach Caldwell on. Uh, a couple that. of shows ago, and he went through this awesome stuff of talking about ski structure and how that all worked. And we are still planning on having him for like a question and answer for just random topics. So that is still coming. Okay. But we have some other awesome content coming up. Speaking of which, uh, we'll give you a little rundown here. We've been working super hard to get some uh, exciting guests on upcoming shows. So our future shows, uh, we got, like I said, we still are going to have Zach on to answer some uh, Q&A. We're looking at comparing the Ski Erg, the Urkelina Trainer, and the Thorax Trainer. We have reached out. We've heard back from um, two of those companies, and they've answered some questions. And so possibly we're going to get them on the show, but if not, 
look for a post. We'll kind of run down our comparisons and, and the answers they gave to the questions we gave. Uh, and then also we are looking at doing a fun conversation with Andrew Gerlach of Endurance Enterprises about the history of the um, old Subaru Pro Team, the Fisher Marathon Team that became the Solomon Marathon Team. So we're, we're looking at a conversation with him. I'm really excited about that, I think partially because – uh, deep down in my soul, I want to uh, use my stimulus check to uh, pay the Visma Classic fee for starting a team. First ever U.S. Visma Classic team. What do you think? Who's with me? You can donate. Let's start a Kickstarter now. Okay, so I, I reached out to Andrew Gerlach, and, and I want to pick his brain about what what the uh, what it's like to have a pro team and the ins and outs and some stories. So I'm super pumped for that. Uh, that show that's coming up. Uh, also, a little on the scientific side, many of you uh, who are listening are excited when we talk super nerdy stuff and we talk scientific research. And so we had a couple of uh, double polling related topics since uh, that's a little bit connected to my thesis and some area of expertise. But I reached out to the head coach at Bowdoin. That's in Maine, Nathan Alsobrook, and he is going to come on and talk double pole research and I'm sure other skiing related topics. So he's a super nice dude and I'm really excited to have him on the show as well. And so his master's thesis was on uh, double pole perform or I'm sorry, upper body strength and how that related to double pole performance. Uh, he, he did that out of Montana State University and kind of he used a modified concept ski erg, which essentially is a rower modified to be like a thorax trainer. So I kind of want to pick his brain on that, actually, to see, like, did you know that you sort of invented a thorax trainer before it was invented? Um, uh, but anyway, so we're excited to see talk about what he remembers about doing that study and some takeaways and what he, he might you know think is the future uh, or advice he has for us as we pursue our research about double pull performance. Um, speaking of which, if you are listening to this and you are, you would consider yourself a, an elite skier or an NCAA level skier, um, or a pretty decent masters or, uh, recreational racer, and you would like to take part in scientific research, you should definitely reach out, reach out because we'll be conducting double pull performance, upper body strength to weight ratio, uh, data collecting. We're going to try and do that next fall. Uh, when the snow falls here in Leadville, so basically August. I'm just joking. We'll probably get fall, uh, we'll probably get snow in end of October, but we're planning on doing the testing in November over that Thanksgiving break. So it would include you uh, would do a couple of upper body strength tests in the weight room and uh, and a, a lower body strength test, and then a one kilometer time trial on the flats using the double pull technique, and then a one kilometer time trial at about a four percent grade at 10,000 feet, of course, on the mineral belt, our beloved trails system. Okay, so, man, I'm getting really excited. I think it's because uh, uh, the rest of this show, if, you are, if you're falling asleep right now, wake up. Okay, Dan, my brother, listening out in Minnesota, okay, wake up. All right, it's going to get exciting, I promise. Uh, we have a great guest on the show again, uh, Kendall Kramer, joining us all the way from Fairbanks, Alaska, to answer some questions about Ski Meister, about skiing, about balancing, running and skiing, all of that is coming up next on the Cedar Skier Podcast. We all bleed the same. We're beautiful when we come together. All right, welcome back to the Cedar Skier Podcast. We are going to uh, get to our interview, but first I just have to bring up a couple of announcements I want to make for the ski community. First of all, you should check out on Faster Ski. A great piece was up on Eric Bjornsson, his recent retirement. I enjoyed reading that. Um... He's going to leave a big uh, hole on the U.S. team. 
he's had a great career, but um, as it's really eloquently expressed in the article, how difficult it is for male skiers to kind of have that breakthrough. And I think there was a quote that caught my attention. Basically, uh, his sister Sadie was kind of saying, you know, if I have a bad race uh, or an okay race, I'm in the the top 30. For for him, it's like it's so thick. Uh, the depth is is so thick that you know he might have be 60th if he has a similar type race. And likewise, you know, she said, if I have a good race, I'm probably top 10. And for him, that difference between, um, you know, 30th and 5th, the depth, again, really makes it difficult to have those truly breakthrough races. So anyway, check that out. I thought that was cool, inspiring, good, uh, a good read for sure. Another thing to check out, Nenza is having a virtual 25-kilometer roller ski type uh, challenge. I saw that. Which... Um, you know, up here in Leadville, we still have snow. I'm still crusking, I, and I'm planning on trying to get all the way through May and uh, not touch my roller skis. That's my new goal. I didn't think it was possible. But oh, now I do. good uh, for so you. I'm not sure if I'm going to participate, but maybe I'll have to, like, I don't know, go find some place to roller ski just so I can take part. I thought that's kind of cool, though. Uh, cool that Justin Beckwith is uh, organizing something like that to kind of motivate people here as they restart their training seasons. Well, competition. All right. So our next guest on the show with us today is world junior silver medalist and youth Olympic bronze medalist, many-time Alaskan state champion, Kendall Kramer. She is joining us from her home in Fairbanks, Alaska, where she recently committed to compete in both Nordic skiing and cross-country running at UAF. We have been highlighting multi-sports athletes uh, in our recent shows, and specifically the art of the ski meister. And so now while Kendall is a three-time ski meister, uh, which in Alaska is designated to the overall winner of the classic and skate races, here in Colorado, as you heard on our last show, ski meisters compete in alpine and Nordic races. So even though Kendall is not balancing alpine and Nordic specifically, she gave us tremendous insight into balancing multiple sports at an elite level and maintaining a healthy perspective. As one of the nation's best prep runners and one of the world's top junior skiers, it is hard to imagine how a young person who has experienced as much national and international success as Kendall has can remain humble, approachable, and eager to continue growing and striving for success in such a wide range of pursuits. But after spending time speaking with her, it's clear those are traits she intentionally fosters. She is mature beyond her years, and it was a true joy to learn more about how she not only balances multiple sports in school, but believes it is the very fact she has these different passions to balance, which allow her to succeed in her favorite activity, skiing. Well, all it would take is a simple Google search of her results and accolades to make it obvious that a talent like her will be wearing the stars and stripes on TV for years to come. I hope that after listening to this interview, you will, like me, realize that Kendall Kramer, the person, her attitude, personality, and perspective on sports and life is what makes her someone really worth cheering for as well. Enjoy. When did you start skiing? You know, like your first introduction to the sport. What are your earliest memories of that? Um, of course, I learned how to shuffle along on my skis, like, four or five years, when I was four or five. Um, I didn't like it and choose to do it until seventh grade. Um, I actually went through a period where I hated it, and you had to, like, force me um, to go. But uh, seventh grade, I'd say, is when I actually started skiing. Okay. Didn't your and your parents were they both skiers or I thought I thought maybe it said one of them didn't ha- doesn't have any background at all or what what sort of influence did they have? Right, yeah. So 
My dad definitely taught me. Um, my mom has never been on skis, so. <laughs> wow. Is that still true, or have you convinced her that yeah. it's, like, the way to be now? That's still true. Okay. That is still true. Wow. How do you live in Alaska, though, and not, not – does she do some other winter sport? She marathon runs. And she goes oh. and runs marathons uh, in warm places during the winter. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. In warm places. Yeah. So. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, okay. You, you already answered, I guess, this question about what life is like in the pandemic. Um, but do you have a sort of like a typical routine that you do right now, this time of year? Have you settled into something? I, I know some people are like taking more time to go on long walks, but uh, other people are eating too much. You know, what's your routine daily like? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I personally find it pretty nice because there's a lot of hobbies that I've um, dabbled in but forgotten about, and so now's the time to, like, pick them up again, like a lot of crafty work and drawing. I used to be really into drawing, so um, I do a lot of that now. Um, I usually get my workout done in the morning because that's when the snow's hard and such. And we aren't – my school district isn't giving out grades during this school shutdown, so we're still holding classes over online, yep. like during like Zoom meetings and whatnot. And so I'll go to my two classes a day. Um, not getting any grades is still doing work because I don't want to get behind or anything. Right. Um, and then I'll maybe like go out for a second workout if that's on the plan um, or I'll do some sort of artsy thing, um, make some graduation gifts for my friends, um, and I'm getting a lot of sleep. <laughs> Yeah, right. I've I've noticed that my yeah. I, I train a lot volume wise, and I, and I'm a full time teacher right. too. So I I you know when I was teaching, it's like okay. I'm on my feet all the time, and I've noticed now even right. though training volume is pretty high, it's super nice when you can like just take naps or rest or you know just be off your feet in general. So yeah, have you noticed yeah. that as well? I suppose yeah. you, you said uh, according to the plan, what kind of like are you following now? Like a UAF plan that the nooks plan or like who's sort of guiding you um i am actually um i've always been with uh nordic because of fairbanks fxc but this year since i am going to college in fairbanks as well um i'm going to go somewhere else and train uh somewhere different for the summer um not going too far i'm going to anchorage and uh getting trained by alaska winter stars aws okay um, Mickey on, and so that's what, yeah, I would, I would consider AWS my team now. Okay, so I'm reading about some of your high school successes here. Five-time Nordic State champ, three-time ski meister, three-time cross-country running, six-time uh, track state champion. I guess this is kind of two different questions, maybe. Which one do you remember the most, and which one do you think is the biggest accomplishment? Um... I think that cross-country is definitely the most memorable time. Um, maybe it's because of the time of year that it goes on in. Um, we're all excited to see each other because it's the new school year. Um, I think the team culture on my running team um, has really um, fostered my love for sports because there's a lot of people who have really big goals and work towards them every day. Um, and I think that the weather is really nice. It's nice and comfortable and so. I definitely have my most fun times with cross-country running. Um, I think my biggest accomplishment, um, of course, you would see my accomplishments in skiing and probably think those just because I'm on the USB team and I've accomplished a lot of things that um, people would want to do at my age. But I think that actually my accomplishments in track 
are the most impressive to me personally because I've never pinned myself as a track athlete. Um, it's short distances, it's flat. Right. Um, it requires a lot of just like top end speed. Um, so I think that my successes there are the most uh, surprising. And sure. um, I'm really glad that I could do well in those for so many years. That's a that's really interesting, and, and you know what? The way you said it, I I kind of tend to agree. I know a little more. I have a little more experience, I guess, in run, the running side. So even looking at like your times and mm-hmm. track four fifty six for the mile and and ten twenty seven for thirty two hundred. Those are your those are your PRs still, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and c- coming mm-hmm. into that yeah. off of skiing, which you know, track, you really have to be biomechanically efficient. So even though you're in great condition, great aerobic shape from skiing, like for me, I would be terrified to step on a track in March, April, or May, you know, coming off of just skiing. Uh, So that is kind of interesting. It's very high impact, yeah. Right. That is really cool. That must, I haven't seen you run before, but that must speak to you being kind of a a natural (laughs) when it comes to running, you know? know, We're all jealous of you for that. No, that is cool though. That's, That's awesome. And yes, you're right. You're Skiing accomplishments, I think, on, a, on the you know being in the U.S. team, that's awesome. And I was a little curious relative to other states, the level of competition that Alaska's high school state cross country ski meet is. I, I know, like like for in here in Colorado, um, we have some really good skiers, but a lot of them don't compete in Chassa, like in the high school. Um, ski me, but in, uh-huh. in, in Minnesota, where I was born, it's kind of the opposite. Everyone does Minnesota State High School. Is Alaska pretty much, you know, everyone who who is a somebody is there? Yeah, every single person. There's not there's not a an alternative. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're you go, everybody goes to a public high school who skis here. Sure. Um, and so they're all in their high school team because all the high school teams are very quality. And um, definitely, I'm definitely competing against people who are getting podiums at junior nationals and yeah it's historically been very very top okay top competition yeah that's and and so originally i was kind of when i wrote that i was sort of thinking oh i bet she'll probably say skiing but Mm -hmm. i think that's cool that you talked about track all right so you're at an elite level already you could have skipped ncaa competition uh i kind of personally admire you for Mm -hmm. taking taking on that college career and i think you are going to benefit from it in so many ways but why did you choose to go the route of the ncaa instead of just kind of you know skipping it and going directly to the, the team usa are you hoping to gain uh, what are you hoping to gain from that experience socially athletically academically um i'm uh really excited to continue at uaf to um spend some more time with my family here and all my best friends but also i knew that i from the get-go that I wanted to go the NCA route and definitely go to college. I knew that just skiing or just running definitely wasn't in the cards for me um, because I'm also very passionate at the, about the um, career that I want to pursue, and I know that I wanted to get a degree and be as well-equipped um, for my career as I could be. Um, and you're looking to study yeah. psychology, right? Yeah. Okay, so talk, yeah. about, talk about that. What, um, go what... into the counseling side of things. Okay, okay. Uh, what's, like, your dream job then? Um, to be a psychotherapist. Like, you go into their office and sit on the couch and sure. um, they can help people through things. Okay. Yeah. 
Wow, that's really cool. Wow. I'm really excited to do that. Yeah. What inspired you to uh, to pick up that as a career, or what what sort of do you see strengths in you that 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 make you feel like that'd be a great fit? Um, I originally wanted to go into the physical therapy field, and so I job shadowed a um, physical therapist. And I, while I was job shadowing, I realized. Um, that my favorite part about um, watching her do her job was um, connecting with her um, patients and who she was seeing and um, really helping them emotionally and mentally through the, like, rehab process. And um, I was realizing that that's, like, my favorite part. Um, I think that I'm really attracted to um, seeing what's underneath um, everything everybody's struggling with daily. I think that there's a lot more to um, actions than people think. Um, I think that your mindset, like, affects everything that you do. You're not going to be able to give, like, 100% of anything in your life if you aren't on track in your mind. And um, I personally think that I can evaluate things that people are telling me and get to the root of them like really easily in my mind and that's just kind of how it works um i try to get to the root of why people are doing certain actions i don't necessarily evaluate the actions i kind of try to figure out why they're doing them and so it just came really naturally to me wow that's really cool very very mature thoughts on that too that's awesome kendall uh i i and i'm sorry i'm kind of like asking some of these extra questions i'm i uh i'm getting a master's in exercise science but one of my favorite classes was sports psychology and i know that's kind of becoming more in demand i think you know and a lot of the elite teams or national teams they always have a sports psychologist that really wasn't the case before so i was kind of curious if if that was uh an option or a route you had thought, or even if it's not, if, um, you've kind of dabbled in that just because you are, you know, high level athlete. So you clearly would recognize mm-hmm. that psychology right. is a big part. Do you, do you read some of that at all? Or, or do you, do you, are you fascinated by learning about that too, as it relates to sports or do you kind of just separate the two? Um, I think that I wouldn't personally be interested in sports psych. Um, just because the whole, like, sports life works with there's a visualization and getting yourself in the right mindset and not being too anxiety-ridden um, for competitions or anything. Um, I think that I would love to help people with that, and I definitely think that I um, have personal experience with overcoming those things, like, in sports. Um, but I definitely want to go the non-sports route okay. um, just because I hear a lot of those issues like in my typical normal life I'm like surrounded by sports all the time and so sure yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Uh, let's go. Let's go back here uh, to to where we where were we talking right. about? <laughs> Can you give us an inside look at what your training was like in each of the parts of the year? So obviously, you know, in the summer, I assume you're you're kind of prepping for running, uh, but you know, you you at a high level skier you are, you're still doing ski specific stuff. So maybe just take us through like summer, fall, winter, spring, and what right. what training looks like at each of those seasons right um so in summer it'll just be ski training i'll be going to different camps like national camps glacier camps i went to sweden last year for two weeks 
Um, and I'll be doing mountain running training um, during the summer as well, um, like for certain mountain races in Alaska. But those are really fun, and so that's how I keep it a balance of my running and skiing in the summer. And then fall, um, I'll do cross-country and skiing, obviously. I'll do my, my intensity sessions will be my running. Um, and then my easy distance will be my skiing, um, just to get my arms working during that time. Okay. Um, to keep balance. And I think that I've had a really good balance all of these years, um, doing that. And, um, uh, yeah, all my intensity is running and during the weeks of big competitions, um, I'll be only running and I'm usually fine with that. Right. Um, if I can just get a few push-ups in, it doesn't really matter. Um, winter, it's only skiing. Um, winter time's pretty long. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Here. And, so, um, and I'll run here and there, but um, if there's snow on the ground, I want to take advantage of it. That's how I've always really worked. Because I like skiing for the skiing on snow. I don't yep. like yeah. uh, roller skiing, uh, bounding. I like skiing on snow, so... I make it a point if there's snow on the ground, I'm going to pee. Right. Um, but then at springtime, um, if I'm kind of done with skiing and I've, like the competitions have taken it out of me, I think the track will be a breath of fresh air. Um, but, yeah, springtime's kind of a, a balance between um, track and still, like, cross skiing and doing the easy stuff and doing really, really hard track stuff. So. Right, right. A follow-up to that, then, would you say that you, you probably roller ski less than the average elite skier just because you have access to snow so much and then you're also running, right. and, you know, like, and then you have to have a downtime at some point? I would definitely point. say that. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And um, when I went on college visits and they told me that sometimes they have to roller ski, like, in the winter because snow is, like, far. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, I, I'm not going I here. I didn't really talk to them anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And I, it's interesting. And, even yeah. even parts of Colorado, I, I when I lived in Alamosa, like, there was hardly any snow, so I roller skied a ton, and it, it helped me a lot okay. developmentally. But but then coming to Leadville, it's like, man, we have, right. we have snow almost nine or ten months of the year. Like, I... I I could probably get by hardly roller skiing at all. I probably probably feel the same way in Alaska, but yeah, yeah out east for sure. Like right. the roller skiers are, they're kind of on another level in terms of agility. Like it's almost its own sport, you know, with the type of terrain that they see. There's mm-hmm. really punchy, steep hills, and yeah, it's kind of interesting. But I yeah, think, definitely, I think you have a good perspective on that, though. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I I'm <laughs> going to be as sport specific as possible, and I think there's something to be said about the enjoyment if you're on snow and kind of getting out there. You know, uh, actually, what I want to ask you about in in cross-country running you said you do like your longer sessions some of them are are maybe on skis or or roller skis you know to get your arms kind of keep Mm -hmm. them there do you keep track of kind of like your total training volume sort of in a way so you kind of know that you're not doing too much because i would think it'd be kind of easy too if you're going to all your cross-country running practices but then i got to kind of stay sharp here plus if are you lifting during that time Mm -hmm. too yeah, yeah, I'm still doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you? Um, yeah, how do you keep track of that? Or, or do you keep track of it? Do you have a coach? Are you kind of the, okay? Here's sorry. Here's the kind of question. Are you someone who's like, 
you own that yourself and you're telling your coach, like, I think this is too much. Or I think I could do more. Or are you the type of athlete that's like fully reliant on the coach? Just tell me what to do or somewhere in between. Um, well, this year I am fully reliant on what Jan is telling me um, just because of it's, it's a completely different type of coaching, and so I'm going to try his methods, yep. and I think they're working really well so far. But um, in the past, I've definitely been very independent because um, I've had just ski coaches, and um, I've been doing high school sports, and I they don't want me running. Yep. <laughs> um, they yep. want me doing my ski training and being at ski practice and so I've had to tell them like no I'm running now and it took them like three years to trust <laughs> and of yeah. like consistent results on both ends to trust that I knew what I was doing but I kind of had to not listen to them for a second and I think that um, I know how to balance it all really well I've never kept like a heart rate monitor or like, an, yep. like anything that tells me if I'm overtraining or not until like now I guess sure. like, like a few days ago I just got one but um, I, I do keep a training log and I definitely keep track of my hours Sure. and my volume and I keep volume balanced that sure. type of stuff yeah that's I, I'll give you you know my two cents there is is as an as a someone who's trained really hard, it's good to have some self analyzation time too. So if you're the type of person that's mm-hmm. always kind of able to self analyze, that that helps that coach athlete partnership. I think so. It's great that you. It sounds like you've got a coach you trust, and he's doing things that are working. Mm-hmm. And but you come from kind of an independent background too, where like, hey, I, I'm capable of seeing how my training impacts me, and and or if I enjoy this sport and I want to invest in it. You know, I'm going to do it. And that's that's why I love reading your story about how, hey, you're going to run collegiately. Like there's not a lot of high level skiers, mm-hmm. especially your level, that would do that. I don't I don't think I mean, um, I guess I don't know a ton, but I just yeah, I mean, even the Dartmouth and the Bowdens, like there's not a ton of people even at those schools who are mm-hmm. running and skiing. So that's really cool. Yeah, I just want to encourage yeah. you to like keep that up. <laughs> you know, that's 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 very yeah. neat about you that you are uh, skiing at such a high level, yeah. but but you're willing to to do another sport and feel like it benefits you. So on that note, I guess I'll ask you sort of like as a runner and a skier, do you feel like you have to make a choice to sacrifice some sport in some way? Or, you know, if you were only a runner, how would you train differently? Uh, Or if you're only a skier, what's your thought about how those two sports interact with each other? Right. uh, Definitely. Um, I feel like I could definitely be a better runner. Um, I don't put, honestly, a lot into running, like, comparatively to people who are just runners. Yep, um, yep. Because I'll do, like, three running workouts a week, and then the rest of it will be skiing-specific. And my mind's always in ski mode. Um, and yep. so I feel like if I did longer mileage runs at, like, a fast pace, because if, if I'm going on long runs as a skier, then I'll be basically walking. Right. But, like, runners take those differently. And um, I would probably do if I did more track workouts, if I did more, like, if I did less strength workouts, um, I could definitely be um, a lot better runner, but I wouldn't be the athlete. I don't know exactly because I wouldn't be the athlete that I am. Yep, um, yep, exactly. Either one, like, only. Right. Right. I, I appreciate you recognizing yeah. the differences between those two, too. Yeah, especially the long run. Yeah. you see a skier, it's like a skier who went for a four-hour long run. I'm like, well, Galen Rupp went like the same distance you just went in like 
65 minutes. So well, can we like equate yeah, those? I don't know. Different. You know, yeah, they are way different. And, and running is super biomechanically dependent. So, you know, you're probably right there. Do, do you feel like a part of the year is the hardest because of the training load or the race volume or, or up where you're at? Again, I, I think there's something to be said about when it's dark, just that like ease of training, you know, the motivation to get out the door. Do yeah. you feel like there's a part of the year that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to kind of toughen up here, but I'll get through it? Or is it all the same? Um, I mean, winter is so spread out. There's huge, there's like big races. There's nationals in January, and then there's big races like junior nationals, and um, in March, and then yeah. there's junior worlds in between. So you have to be peaked for all of those. You have to be peaking for three months. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, essentially, that's not physiologically and, um, possible. So that's <laughs> tough, but yeah. it's not. And that's the time that I feel like I can enjoy all my hard work and I'll do my pre-race and then I'll race hard and I get to enjoy all the benefits of after I've raced. And I think that that is the easy part of the year. Um, I think the time of the year in the fall when I haven't raced much, well, I haven't raced at all, obviously skiing. I don't know where my skiing fitness is at. Um, Anxious. Yeah. It's like an anxious time because you don't really know where you stand. Um, but then there's also in the springtime, like most years are taking like a whole month off, but I usually like I get like a week off and then I'm into like super intense track training. And so right. um, personally, that's hard to balance for me, but I think the, um, yeah, I think that might be the toughest because I'm supposed to be resting during that time, but I want to be doing my track. Sure. Yeah. Have you ever felt burned out kind of coming into April or May or in a track season where you're like, oh, I don't want to do this or, or is it kind of, oh no, totally new thing. It's fresh. I would think, I would think physically you might be a little burned out, but, but how have you felt coming into your track season? Obviously you've performed well. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. um, I think um, that feeling was definitely more, um, I definitely get it in the, in the fall. Sure. Um, not, because there's no snow yet. I haven't been on snow for a while. Um, I haven't been competing all summer, and I don't really know where I stand, and I'm always yeah. – <laughs> I, I think the worst. I'm just like, oh, I've lost – I must have lost so much fitness because I don't really see yeah. it in, like, performance. That's uh, interesting. Okay. So I, I don't think that I'm um, sick of skiing by the time spring rolls around, um, probably because – the like amazing weather and conditions make it so easy to <laughs> want to go out and skiing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's something I think, uh, yeah. Living in Alaska, uh, where you've got, it's like April. It's like, no, this is the best time to ski. You know, it's like, what you've been skiing for five yeah. and a half months. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I totally can relate to you there. That's, I think people around me think mm-hmm. I'm like an absolute nut job. I've kept my cross country skis in the car literally since October. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go cross skiing today. It's May yeah. 1st. And they're like, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how this year went. You, you talked about how, you know, us nationals, uh, you're in Europe in February, you come back for world or for juniors, which was a little crazy this year, but, uh, walk us through some of those races, you know, from high school to being in Europe to the world junior experience. Uh, tell us about how you did and how you felt kind of at each stop along the way. All right. Um, at the start of the season, like, um, the cross country season, uh, the cross country running season went well because I always have a really fun time during cross country. Um, 
but after that, I was um, reflecting on my past ski season because I was going into my next one, and I had all these goals and uh, these expectations that other people had of how I would do. And um, it was, like, a lot of pressure, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to, like, try and reach for them anymore. Um, and so the earlier issues were kind of tough because I didn't want to be doing it. I was, like, I kind of scrapped all of the, or, like, brushed aside all of the goals I really had to, like, ease the pressure off. Um, and so, like, going into nationals in um, Houghton, um, I was really nervous. I wanted to puke before every race. I would, like, cry before my races because I was so nervous because people were expecting me to win. Yeah. And so um, that was definitely tough. And during those races, I also had, like, I experienced, like, going too hard or, like, my pace dropped or just, like, hitting an absolute wall um, for the first time and kind of, like, locking out during the race because I went into a zone that was probably too hard. Um, and I had my first bad race ever. Yeah. Um, I was at nationals. And so that was also tough because I was going into it like super nervous and not knowing if I was as good as I was last year, because, um, last year was like perfect and everything went really, really well. (laughs) So I had to like live up to that again. Um, and so, yeah, that made me really nervous. But then I went into Youth Olympics right after that. And um, I didn't set expectations for that because I didn't know who I'd be competing against. And those also got me discouraged because the first two races were skate sprints. Those are my weakest event by far. Um, and I was crying before and after because nothing was really going well. <laughs> and... Um, but then uh, the last race was a, the 5K Classic, and I got my bronze in that. And um, I was really happy about that. Um, so I wasn't very confident in my skills, though. Um, so right after that, I had a little bit of a break, and then I went to Junior World. Um, kind of... Uh, my individual races did not go as planned. I I was going into Junior Worlds wanting a podium um, because I was fourth last year, and so sure, yep. you know, <laughs> you would think, yeah, you would think that if you worked it super hard, then the podium would be just like so close. Yep. Um, but I did get. Um, I was in the twenties, um, and that was yeah, that was definitely weird because I've done my whole high school career. Um, people being like, oh, like, Kendall's going to, like, we already know Kendall's going to win. It's just like, how much is she going to win by? And it's like, everybody put me on this pedestal that I truly, I don't think I necessarily deserve because um, it's pretty rare to be able to perform back to back to back to back to back. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was definitely weird to have results that I wasn't hoping for because that had never happened before. Um, at Junior Worlds. And um, so then the last races were Junior Nationals in Truckee. I got there from Germany two days before my first race. Um, so I wasn't expecting much. That was like icing on top of the cake for the year. Um, and I did the skate sprints and um, did better than I thought I would. <laughs> and then uh, the rest of the races were canceled, of course. Yeah. 
And then I went back, <laughs> went back home, and I've been here every day. What was your flying and travel like and balancing that with school? I mean, yeah, how, how often were you going back and forth, or did you kind of park yourself in one place for longer a longer time that I wouldn't just be aware of? Because yeah, I would think that would really affect your performance too, just the flight time and travel time. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I definitely knew that going into it that um, travel would take a little bit of a toll. Um, yeah, so going to Houghton, um, it was obviously really tough to get to Houghton. Yeah. Um, I went back, I, I always want to go back home and get in like a few days of school before I have to go to something else, even if it's a three day break in between the two trips, I always choose to go back home, um, because being in class is really beneficial for me, um, no matter how jet like I am. Um, I know that a lot of, like, Novi and Sydney, we we all go on the same trip, and then they choose to go, like, they choose to, like, stay over wherever they're traveling at and just go to the next trip, but I always go home. Yeah. Um, and so I, would, I went to Nationals, went home for, like, four days, then went to Switzerland. Um, I was home for a few weeks. I went to State skiing in Anchorage right from state skiing didn't go home at all went to Germany Junior World didn't go home at all and went to California oh crazy wow what an adventure you have lots of stories to tell. <laughs> I mean is, is that something you kind of enjoy about skiing though too that it's bringing you to all these unique places or is travel kind of a sour point for you um I've always had um homesickness um Maybe that's why I chose to um, stay in Fairbanks. Um, but I think that I really, really like a fast-paced lifestyle. And if I'm going, if I'm zooming from one place to the next, um, I really like it. Um, and I don't really have time to think about if I'm missing anything at home. I think it was easier this year because it was 20 below for months <laughs> um, in Fairbanks. Uh, that's awesome. Every day. So I, I didn't want to be home anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's, a, that's a good way of putting it for sure. Um, cool. So, uh, you, you gave us a great recap on your season. What goals did you have coming mm-hmm. into it? Did you have some sort of that were just process related and not outcome? Um, and how'd you feel like you accomplished them? Unfortunately, I think where I went wrong this last year is not making process goals. I think that I only made results goals. Um, my goal was William Junior World, and I was, like, putting my whole season on that. Um, I didn't um, – in past years, I would go into training sessions knowing, um, like, cut and clear, like, this is my focus, this is my weakness. I need to do whatever I can in this session and be very mindful to fix that, and I'm going to do whatever I can to fix that. I didn't do that this last year. I was kind of losing sight of having weaknesses because I was letting all of the perfect results, like on top of and top of top of each other, like get to my head and think that I have, that was well-rounded at 16, which just wasn't true. And so, um, yeah, I didn't make enough process goals this last year. Okay. But, yeah. That's probably a tendency, though, yeah, I think, 
at that age, especially for you, and you experience a lot of the outcome success early on, and yeah, your friends are, oh, she's going to win. That's, that starts to become the focus, and it starts to become the determining factor, it seems like. Did I have a good year? Well, did I win or did I lose? You know, and yeah, there's definitely more to it. I'm sure you're kind of realizing too that, hey, I can like place such and such a way, but but come out feeling really positive if a process goal was there, you know. Um, so, yeah. so you know, for many many kids around you, even a state title, we think as an accomplishment, they can only dream of. And some of the other, you know, athletes we've interviewed for this about Ski Meister, it's like winning states huge. And for you, you've kind of been on the world and elite stage and as well as, you know, winning state. But does that in any way diminish what it feels like to be state champ? Or or do you feel like there's something special about the fact that it's your high school, your, your classmates, your community, um, and it just is special in a different way? Or how, what does it feel like for you, you know, to be the state champ? What does that mean to you? Um, I definitely enjoy making my high school proud. I like showing all my teammates that if they take advantage of and they make the most of the training that's given by our West Valley coaches, then they can be on my, on my level. Like, they could be um, doing the exact same things that I'm doing. Um, they just have to fully embrace what's the coaching is being handed to them, um, and I really like being a um, showing of that, and so that is my main goal when I'm um, preparing to do well at state, is to show all my teammates that um, like hard work and uh, really working with the coaches um, right. will get you to the places that I've gotten. Um, I think that uh, winning state in Alaska, um, especially for skiing, um, means a lot, a lot because there's so many um, good. There's just so many good skiers, and there's so many different ways that people are training. And I think getting us all together, and um, me coming out like on top of that, I think really means a lot because I see how hard these people from Anchorage are working, and um, I see how dedicated they are. And um, to be competing right next to them even is it makes me feel really good. Yeah, it's kind of an, I mean, there's quite a heritage of two when you think of the lineage of uh, state champs in Alaska for cross-country skiing. So, yeah, to be a part of that is kind of the a sisterhood that you would, you know, you're always a part of, and that's kind of cool. Um, and, and so yeah. w- one thing that's interesting. Definitely. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's, uh, it's definitely um, high class. Like, if you do well at the state championships, you're going to do well. Automatically, like nationwide, like worldwide. Right. I think, yeah, it's really good to turn it. Uh, so some of the other uh, ski meisters we talked to, they're talking about how like the mental aspect of alpine really is a different type of mental <laughs> than Nordic. And, right. and we, we talked a lot about how those two sports, how they kind of play off of each other and interact. And we kind of talked mm-hmm. a little bit about your running in that sense. But I know for me as a runner, I always felt like coming into skiing, one advantage I had from running was just the sheer aerobic engine I could carry. Like I, 
always knew I could sprint up a hill skiing because I get to recover. And like, that just seems so easy when you run, you know, and you like, don't have literally any recovery. And, and, and so th- I always feel like that's a, a little subtle piece of confidence I carry into a ski race from my running. Do you feel like going from skiing to running or running to skiing, there's like a piece that really you notice because you're in both that carries over as an advantage? I think that definitely doing the two um, endurance sports that are so similar to each other. Um, and for so long, I've uh, got down my pre-race routine. Um, it's the same for both. Yeah. Um, and when I, when I do it, uh, my body recognizes that I'm getting ready for a race. And it <laughs> pumps all the right adrenaline in and it gets nervous. Like my stomach starts fluttering as soon as I do my... Um, dynamics that I do before my race because uh, it knows what's next and the hard effort that's coming next and so I've really trained my body to recognize that through doing those sports and I think that um, I learned how to listen to my body and pace correctly by doing both positions similar. Okay. So the, the pacing aspect and then also just that like the preparation you really feel trained and locked in because of, of the two. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I feel bad not really asking this maybe right away, but just your overall, how you balance doing more than one sport. And for you, it's mm-hmm. kind of three. How you balance that, like, not just physically, you talked a lot about your, your training and how that works, but just from like, a, yeah. I don't know, um, emotional, mental perspective, like how, how, how is your balance between running, skiing and track? How does that how does that work for you on a on a whole year spectrum? Because that that is one thing the ski meister specifically, where it's like it's just a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, they're they're doing double of everything. Their practices are longer, long days, long meets. So how for for you, you experience that too. How do you balance that? Um, I don't I think that personally I need to be doing both of those to continue with athletics because um, when I do uh, my running workouts in the fall, or I do my, my intervals, I'm excited to ski the next day. I'm excited to get on my skis. Um, and when I'm skiing, um, I'm excited to go and run with my team through the trails the next day. I think it keeps me excited for each day, and it's something that I can choose if I want to trail run or if I want to go roller ski up something steep, like on any given day. I think that... It's absolutely necessary because I get really sick of ski training all summer, and I really look forward to the fall. Um, And during the fall, it gets me um, revved up and really excited for it to snow. And I think, yeah, it definitely keeps me excited if I was hitting one note all year. Yep. um, I would be the athlete that I am because I wouldn't be putting near as much effort as I do into it. Um, yeah, that's really encouraging to hear, Kendall. I am so encouraged to hear that from uh, from you. No, seriously, I think I think we need to broadcast that more. And and I ironically, the other athlete I talked to, he kind of said the same thing, almost like, "Well, I love Alpine and I look forward to it, and I love Nordic." It's like that's kind of the way you have to be if you're gonna go really far in sports. Like you have to really just love 
every part of it, you know, and it sounds like you do. And, and that balance is kind of, it keeps you going forward. Like you're not, you're not thinking about, oh my gosh, am I going to get burned out? It's like, you just intuitively know that, right? You want to, you want to go for the trail run when you're on your Nordic skis, you're kind of excited for, it sounds like, you know, what the objective test running brings, which I think is kind of interesting, right? When you do an interval yeah. workout and running, you, you know, right away where you're at. Sometimes in skiing, it's some, even hard to tell your fitness, but it's kind of, for yeah, you, it's yeah. like, Hey, right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're totally different things and I enjoy the variety. And so you just keep that, keep that going. Like that's going to take you a really long way if you keep that perspective and, and kind of ignore the yeah. naysayers that might say, well, you really should be focusing on one thing or, right. yeah, I don't know. That's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear that you enjoy everything and maybe maybe that makes this next question kind of hard uh do you have a sport you prefer over one um i don't i mean i'm always in ski brain like i said before and so i think that that would be that would show that i like skiing's my passion um i definitely feel my best when i'm doing it um i feel strong and I feel fast, and I get um, a feeling that I don't get while I'm running. Um, And so I think that skiing is definitely my love, but I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't run. Um, Okay. I think that the running community is definitely definitely has a special place in my heart. Um, And so, of course, I get the best of both worlds. Okay. (laughs) I think. I think skiing is are you a big Ollie or Ali Ostrander fan then? Right. Yeah, of course. That's, I mean, she's always been like the standard. She's gotten so far and it's so awesome to see because people really count out people from Alaska because we're so far away. Right. And we don't have the resources that people in the lower 48 have. And so it's really cool to see that she's joined the Brooks team. She ran top collegiately and, um, She's from Alaska, where there's we have one indoor track um, in Anchorage, and she didn't even live in Anchorage. Right. So, yeah. Now um, she's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I I admire her for being kind of down to earth too. I watched her at, at all of her NCA titles. Right. Um, I I got to see her see her race there, and I was always like. I just appreciated, yeah, that even in the interviews afterwards, like she's so down to earth, and there's there's something about that that's refreshing, I think, at the elite level. So I, I I'm cheering for her. My wife and I, we we like her in the steeplechase. Even though she's got some tough competition, it's kind of unfortunate. Like America, American female yeah. steeplechase happens to be super good right now. But yeah, she's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So, yeah. Um, I would go to the. I went to the um, Olympic trials. Um, for like track and like Eugene, Oregon, um, to watch, and we got like alley pins. Oh, really? Okay, and, cool. And yeah, I I don't I don't think I've ever met her because she graduated before, like the year before I was a freshman. But. Sure. Uh, I'm sure people are kind of interested for you to be honest here. What would you say your strengths and weaknesses as a Nordic skier are? And we'll, we'll just, we can just go Nordic skiing. Um, you don't have to talk about running unless, unless you think they're related, but what's your big strengths and, and your big weaknesses? I think um, my strengths are really being pleased after my race. If I know that I gave my best, that's all I could do. Um, I think also my strengths are, I think I'm very uniquely focused and very tuned in and my like I just know my body and I'm familiar with it and 
I know when I need to slow it down and when I still have enough to speed it up. And I think that I can tap into a lot of, lot of gears and uh, pull out a sprint um, when nobody's really expecting me to. Um, I think that, yeah, I'm very, very focused and I will put my um, what I need athletically as a priority. And I, as when I'm doing sports or I'm training, I'm only thinking about the training. And when I'm done, I'm off the track, I'm off the trails, I'm off my skis, I'll avoid thinking about my athletics because there's nothing I could do now. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I was going to do something and I was worried about um, something I was weak at, I had to do it while I was training. And I can't worry about it now, and I'm just going to have to work at it the next day. So I think that I um, really keep it, um, like, separate. Yeah. Um, my weaknesses, um, I think I definitely hold myself to a standard that maybe isn't realistic. Like, um, yeah, how do I word this? Uh, just, like, <laughs> um, expecting to do... Um, or expecting to perform, like, over and over and over. Um, like, not expecting, like, human results, like yeah. having a bad race every once in a while or getting, like, on the results list, like, way lower than you think. Um, I need to be uh, more accepting of that. Um, I also think that um, we're talking is about, like, physical, like, um, athletic weakness uh sprinting <laughs> we're really comfortable using the fastest i don't think i have fastest muscles um i yeah i just find if i try to sprint it feels like i'm i have like weights on my legs just like like that yeah when i try to sprint it's so it's fierce um but i've worked with that i've adapted i've done speed every single day um trying to get more comfortable with that and i'm definitely working on that um bravery is also a weakness uh can't really get myself to go downhill hence why i don't i really never do alibis um Um, so how and you talk about like working on speeds uh what are some other things you're gonna you're you're really gonna focus on to improve for next year and how how are you going about doing that I'm aging up into U20, um, and I'm also going to be doing the college races. So I'm going to be doing a lot more um, 15Ks, 20Ks, yeah. like that sort of stuff. Um, and I've never really, even though I've just, like always been a distance girl, I've never really liked the longer ones. I really like 5Ks. Like 5Ks are amazing. Yeah. They're, the, like, <laughs> they're, the, they're the best. If I could only do 5Ks ever, <laughs> that would be really good. But um, I'm going to definitely have to do more thresholds because um, even though I can keep up a pace forever and ever and ever, um, I get really <laughs> bored doing long stuff <laughs> and um, doing long races. I just uh, I like going fast, and so I don't like it when it's prolonged. Um, and uh, I, I really like having my head in the game for... 20, 30 minutes, yeah. um, I tend to get distracted if I'm doing a 20K race. Sure. I think about other things. Sure. 
and then my body goes with it because it's drifting off to other things. Sure. Um, and so I definitely have to do more thresholds, do longer races to uh, practice focusing saddle. Okay. What advice would you give to a high school or younger athlete who, who is like you and loves to ski, likes to run, and kind of wondering if they can do both? Um, I think that you just have to – the only thing that's different between running and skiing is um, you have to balance more when you're skiing and have to use your arms. So, like, <laughs> yeah. if, if you – like, you can honestly just run during running season and then go double full and then – you're you're good. Um, I think that you. I think that people who are trying to do both should trust themselves more than they think that they should. I think coaches on the running and skiing side are trying to sway you, um, be whatever way is their way, um, more than you think. Um, and they're yeah, they're gonna want you to either run or um, ski. It's like trusting your passion, in other words, though. Like what you love to do is what you're going to follow. Yeah. Don't, don't let someone um, else tell you. You just have to get out and do it every day. And that can, that sounds simple, but it gets really hard sometimes. Um, if you just do it every day and you put all the effort that you can into it every single day, then you're destined to do something you're really proud of. And you can get on the start line and know that you did everything possible and now you have to work with what you set yourself up for and whatever happens is the culmination of it awesome so maybe more importantly what advice would you give to those kids parents you know the the parents who are trying to force their kid maybe into doing more sports or you know it sounds like you've had a really great support system and uh, they're behind you, and it's benefited you. But what, what's kind of what would you tell parents of today's, you know, ski athlete or runner? Right. Um, even my parents told me that, um, or at least a lot of people around me told me that um, when I get to uh, my senior year or I get near college, um, I'm going to have to do either or, like uh, college athletics are the next step. and um, you're really going to have to choose by then. But you'll just think about that when the time comes. Well, nobody brought it up later because they realized that I could do both. But um, I think parents have to realize that while um, these kids, you think that focusing on one thing and going really, really hard at one thing every day will make them, like, really, really good at that thing. Um, But, (laughs) and so they can get more, like, scholarships or get a spot on the team for that one thing, but uh, it's really cool how you can get double the opportunity if you just do both. Um, people think that they're kind of like mutually exclusive, and um, I think that um, since I get uh, opportunities from the running and skiing side, I get double the opportunities. I don't get any less on either side. Right. Um, yeah, and definitely too. This, you know, you talk about the importance of your academics fitting in there too, and and how it's a whole right. other world that you're really passionate about and dedicated, um, dedicated to. And you're right. There, it, it, some people think if you focus on one, that's the way to be the best. In my experience, even in college, so I was a music major, 
and I, and I competed. And that was kind of the two things at, at my liberal arts school that everyone told me were not compatible, you know? And the reason was, is right. the, the music rehearsals were at the same time yeah. as athletic practices. So it was right. like a lot of hours of practicing. I, yeah. And, and I almost found now where the moments in my life where I struggled the most and I got into the darkest places athletically were the, were the short periods of my life where I didn't have musical responsibilities. Like I had this one short season yeah, where I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just, it was, it didn't work. And so, yeah, uh, it's really cool that it sounds like you've got not just athletically, right. Running and skiing. And those are two pretty similar sports. You're right. They go together pretty well, but you know, to like, Oh no, I'm here. I'm actually a student athlete. I'm going to believe that, you know, like you'll go there and study and, and work at, at psychology. And that's really important. I think to have that balance, even from just an athletic standpoint, like if you're too focused, that's almost sometimes where danger seems to creep in. Or would you disagree with in that in your experience? I mean, it sounds cool that in high school you've focused on academics, right? You went home in between meets. You didn't yeah. like just, oh, I'm a pro athlete now, so I'm going to just go to the next site. I mean, I think that's that's really cool and mature that that's how you approached it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to be able to learn as much as possible. Of course, I want to take. Advance, full advantage of the educational opportunities that are being given to me. And I think that if, oh, I mean, a lot of people really want to just be professional skiers. And if yeah. they didn't have to go to college, didn't have to get, if they were like NBA stars and right. they got enough money throughout their athletic career to live that, like live their whole entire lives rich, that'd be great. And <laughs> they would love to do that. Um, I personally don't think that. I think that if I took an entire year to just be a professional skier and just focus on my skiing every single day, nothing else on my mind, I wouldn't be skiing when I'm here. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely need to uh, keep up the habit that I have of when I'm off my um, athletic equipment and thinking about the other things going on in my life. Cool. All right. So last, like uh, we like to go deep here on the Cedar Skier podcast. And uh, so we'll finish with a, a deep question. So hopefully, hopefully you thought hard about this one. This is important. I will, I will judge you as an athlete and a person based on how you answer this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, <laughs> the reason that I ski, run, compete is what? Finish that sentence for us. Um, see all of the people around me getting inspired and I am remaining approachable to the people around me and remaining their friends um, so they can know that they can have the same exact opportunities as me. I want people to feel welcomed into greatness. I want people to feel like um, watching me and um, me being very open about what I do to get this good. I want to inspire people and have my friends up with me on the podium too. (laughs) Cool. Cool. That's awesome. I love it. And so when your ski ski career is over, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I want to be remembered as, um, really, really tough when racing time comes. Um, but as soon as it's over, I can be a friend um, I want to be remembered as, um, with how well I 
juggles all of my athletics um, and being a multi-sport athlete. Um, I think that's really important, and I'm glad that um, it's recognized so much and I get the opportunity to pursue both. But, yeah. I mean, anybody can be super tough and uh, aggressive on the ski trails, and not everybody can turn that off, like, once they're done. Right, right. (laughs) So um, I'm still working on that, but I definitely want to um, be a friend to people I can be with. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Cedar Skier Podcast. Be sure you go to cedarskier.com to check out our blog, and you can listen to other episodes as well as read some articles. Uh, And uh, if you want to discuss anything on the show, shoot us an email there or comment on a post, and we'd be happy to respond. Have a good one. It's Ryan Cedarquist out.